This episode is brought to you by Sadler & Co., the makers of handcrafted leather goods in Dubbo, shipping them Australia-wide. Hello and welcome to Outback Stories, a podcast about extraordinary people living in the bush. You're joined, as always, by regional journalists Lucy Samuels and Lucy Taylor. Can I get you to see? Oh yes! It is like this is it's been through my entire family. Oh hello. I told them I was like, I'm going to see Guy and they got so excited. The late afternoon sunlight slanted between the tall eucalypts, great runny slabs of hot primary colours sliding off an artist's palette. Against the reds and burnt golden tones, a flash of black movement darted between the trees. As swift as a shadow from some great black bird, it was accompanied by pounding earth and cracking twigs as the beast thundered through the still landscape. It was a horse as powerful and proud as any depicted in myth and legend. For this episode, we touched down in Tari and made our way to a beautiful home situated on the fast-flowing Manning River, and we got to sit down with one of Australia's most prolific authors, Di Morrissey, who you just heard from reading from her book, Barra Creek, which, uh, Lucy, you're fangirling so hard. Oh, my God, so hard. It was <laughs> I was blown away. But Di has written 27 best-selling novels during her time as an author, and I honestly think I've read majority of them. <laughs> Barra Creek, Heart of the Dreaming, Follow the Morning Star, Tears of the Moon. The best bit was the bit when you rocked up with your old book of Barra Creek and it was falling to bits. <laughs> you had it held together by an elastic band and you said, Di, you must sign this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to hand it on to my grandchildren. But Di is fascinating. She's a trained journalist. She's worked in TV, film, newspapers all over the world. But what makes her stand out is... Her fascination, I think, with culture and landscapes and the environment and how she can vividly portray these characters that she meets within the communities that she bases her novels on. And she does. She spends long periods of time within these outback communities. But Di tells us about the importance of storytelling and what really inspired her to become an author and now how she's taken on the responsibility of running the Manning Community newspaper, which is giving a voice to her region. It was also the inspiration for her long-awaited 28th novel, Before the Storm. This is Di Morrissey. So firstly, I just want to say, wow, I'm just so excited to be here. You are quite possibly one of my favourite authors and oh, my family's. Every oh, Christmas, lovely. someone gets a Di Morrissey book, so... We are just so excited to be here and chatting to you. Oh, that's so sweet you. of you. I hope the book gets shared around. Oh, it definitely will. <laughs> <laughs> um, you write a lot about the outback and I really want to know, you're from Wingham, you were um, brought up here, born and raised. Can you tell us where your love for the outback started? Um, well, it's it's funny, I'd never actually travelled anywhere in Australia, I think in my era, you know, I was living in, in I was born in Wingham, but I was five when I went to Sydney uh, to Pitwater, so I was raised down there and at, at school, uh, you know, the first thing you did was leave the country, uh, and so, you know, I saved up and saved up, and I was working as a journalist at, uh, at um, Australian Consolidated Press because I wanted to be a novelist but I learned you don't leave school and become a novelist uh, and so my very wise uncle who was a foreign correspondent said you know go and work 
uh, on a newspaper. Well, I went to the Women's Weekly, and it was absolutely the best thing I could have done for you know novel writing later. So then, you know, you saved up and you went to you know the old dart, and so oh. I and I got a job in London, working in London, and then I married an American diplomat. And by the time years pass. When I came back to Australia, and by then I was divorced, had little children, and um, suddenly realised that I, I'd never seen my own country. I had been in Sydney. I, you know, I'd never been to this exotic place that my girlfriends went called Surface Paradise. Uh, so, <laughs> so I hadn't seen any of it, and I kind of filed that away. So um, you know, I had to make a living, so I was working in television for The Breakfast Show. And then like eight years just went by. And you, know, you wake up one morning and think, I have to change my life. So I was there on Friday and I quit the job and on Monday I went home to become a novelist and I thought, what do I do now? And a friend had told me about Byron Bay so I went up and I rented a little, you know, it was very, didn't have any any savings but I went up and rented a little shack in, in Byron Bay and then just kind of decided to set out on my travels and I had filmed a story um, some years before with dear old R.M. Williams in uh, Longreach when they were raising money for the Stockman's Hall of Fame. And I thought, I want to go back there. So, you know, I just got in the car and drove to Longreach and mooched around and met people. And that was the kernel of the book Heart of the Dreaming, which was my first book. And that kind of worked. And I went, oh. So I just kind of like places choose me. I don't put a pin in the map. And I think the timing was right. You know, timing is important. That people were ready to read stories about, you know, our country. Were there many at the time written no. about? No. The last one had been Thornbirds. And there hadn't been anything since really Thornbirds. And we paid a lot of fuss and attention to people like, you know, Jackie Collins. And, you know, foreign authors would be come in and, and, and you know, get lots of publicity. And our writers never, never got any publicity. So in a way, again, timing was right. And I had a smart publisher at Pam and Mellon called James Fraser who decided that just go out and write stories about Australia. And while doing your research in the outback was it a shock to the system? No not really because um, I suppose really because my godfather was Chips Rafferty the old uh, you know Australian actor and Chips had been a stockman he was the real deal but he went to Hollywood and played the lanky you know drawling Aussie and so he taught me when I was little uh, all of, um, you know, Lawson and Banjo Patterson and, and, and so I was, I was imbued with bush stories. And so it, you know, I kind of felt I knew it. And then when you get to out of a city, um, and I didn't live in a city, I lived at Pittwater and I just had the National Park as my backyard and wallabies and things. So I was a, an only child, so um, I felt incredibly at home. And so I just wait for a place to choose me and off I go. So with Follow the Morning Star, Heart of the Dreaming and Barra Creek, where are they all based around? Where did you have to go for those? Um, well, Heart of the Dreaming uh, was, was l- around Longreach. Sometimes I don't identify a place, but I mean I might be an area. So, so Barra Creek is Cape York. Uh, Rain music is the Dane Tree, and of course, Tears of the Moon, and the, the two other Red Coasts and Kimberley Sun. That's all Broom and the Kimberley, which I have to say really are my heart places. I just, you know, when you get to a place and you think that it really means something, you think, have I been here before? Or you know, there's some there's some connection with a, with a place. 
Um, and so I either name the place or, you know, I set a story there um, and I fictionalised t- the town. I mean, a lot of that was for legal reasons, like yeah. we, you can't have the postmistress having an affair with the local copper <laughs> and b- without <laughs> someone drawing some conclusions. <laughs> and a, lo- a lot of your stories based on real people that you meet. Sometimes they are, yeah, yeah, mm. because they're such wonderful, you know, famous, well-known characters. So my characters in the books might stumble across them as much as, as, as I do. And, um, yeah, it just depends on the, the person and the circumstances, whether you can actually name them. But I do weave a lot of Australian, you know, history and factual mm. stuff, which people have really uh, enjoyed. I never knew that. And now I want to go there and find out more. So I think people appreciate the fact that the place is factually based, like in the, uh, you know, the Opal book, so the Opal Desert, you know, spent a lot of time out there in Lightning Ridge and White Cliffs. And, and so, you know, that has to be accurate. And um, the time I spent in Broome doing all the research, I thought, I mean, if you learn a lot, you know, you want to put it all in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's terrific and interesting. And my yeah, my editor goes, die. We don't have to know how to build a lugger. We just <laughs> need to know what it does. <laughs> that kind of stuff. But you really capture the essence of the outback. Do you love it? Oh, I love it. Yes, I do. I do. It's really. It, I mean, you know, it is real Australia. That's where everybody should have mandatory, you know, time in the outback and learn about what Australian culture and values really are. Um, uh, yes, I, I do. I just, um, I just find it's a, a, a place that makes makes me feel good. But and but I always want to try to reflect that in a way that that is. Um, legitimate and 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 is truthful. So I rely a lot on just having been a journalist. You know how you can just sit down and you just go. You know I walk into a town and go sit in the pub and mm-hmm. start talking to someone, and that's where they. You know that's where the stories come from. You exactly. know they, they're gifts, aren't exactly. they? Exactly. Yeah. And why do you think it's so important to tell stories about these places and people? Because well, it's what makes us what we are, which includes. You know, I wrote the Songmaster, which at the time I see now I'm being asked, oh, you know, would you do that again? Writing about Indigenous Australians and cultural stories, and the the Songmaster kind of broke ground in that way. But that was all based on a true experience of white people going out and experiencing the outback, and so I think you know it's it's part of of, of who we are, and I think the you know it is the the outback and country people that have influenced you know, the, the the good things about our country. I just think if new immigrants to Australia should go to the country, yeah. they get into a ghetto of their own, you know, society in a city and they could be anywhere in the world. It's not until you go to the real Australia mm. that, that you understand what makes us who we are. Exactly. Mm. Absolutely. Exactly. Can you tell us a bit about where your love for writing, I guess, was born? Oh, look, I just, I don't know. I mean, I think God gives us all a gift. I mean, I would love to paint. I'd love to be able to sing. I'd love to be able to do it. And I have no talent for it whatsoever. <laughs> but um, but I always told stories. I think Chips brought, you know, he taught me about poetry and sit down. And, and he always said that, you know, if you can't pull your weight around the campfire at night, you know, everyone's got to, you've got to tell a story, recite a poem, you've got to, you know have your, your act together. So so the idea of the storytelling 
came to me and old Bryce um, Courtney was a, was a great mate and he used to say, you know, we are the storytellers that sat outside the cave at the very beginning and that stories are, are, are you know... Novel for you? I think Tears of the Moon is, which was my fifth novel and they call it your breakout out novel, but... Um, and that was the Broome novel, just, you know, getting on a plane and going to, to Broome and, uh, you know... the. Um, the friends that I met there are still friends. Um, I go back as often as I as I can. So Broom and the Kimberley, and it's a book that has resonated with people because it covers, you know, the pearling industry. It goes right back to you know uh, where we are in modern times now, the ups and downs, and uh, and there's nothing like an Australian pearl. Nothing in the world you can keep your cold diamonds. I'll have the pearls any day. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm like. Yeah, I'm yeah, Lucy's very similar. Yeah. Just to see them and how yeah. they make them. Now you've won, you've written twenty-seven best-selling novels. Wow! And yeah, <laughs> it's like, seems like yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> and you've got your twenty-eighth uh, coming on the way. Can you tell us a bit about um, your new book? Oh, it's called Before the Storm, and it's set in a little coastal southern Victorian country town, uh, and it's a girl at Crossroads Roads in, 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 in her life and her her mother sent her down to this little town to check on her, her grandfather but I think the mother had other ulterior motives as mothers do and and her granddad is pushing 80 and he's this wonderful feisty old newspaper man who runs a country newspaper ah. and so uh, you know she gets down there and gets involved in you know yet another uncovering of you know horrendous doings there's councils and Things that happen in country towns, and the uh, uh, and that kind, I just felt it was it sort of resonated because you know I'm running a community newspaper, uh, and I think we really need you know as journalists, uh, you know journalism is threatened and the press is threatened, and we're not uh, you know think papers are being you know homogenized, closed down, or you know uh, having to toe the party line. Uh, so the we really need independent press. Uh, so, you know, I thought it was a way of illustrating that that was entertaining and fun but makes the point that without the community has no voice without its its local newspaper. And rural people really feel it, don't they? Mm. You know, you can talk to a lot of city people and metro people who say, you know, we, we've, we get to read the Sitting Morning Herald and it's about everything but you come out to the regions where rural people were very community-minded, we want to hear about what's happening with, you know, in culture or with the local sport or what's happening at your hospital. Yeah. Or what's, exactly. you know, happening yeah. in the community. And also uh, there's a retired community on an older fraternity who, and also technology-wise, that don't go online, that want to get their news online. And, you know, once a week or whenever it is you go into town – you go and you pick up your local paper and you, you know, want to sit down and have a coffee and read the paper and, and see what's going on. Because um, radio is time, uh, uh, you know, restricted and, and again, if you don't have a local radio station, you don't get that local news. But the local newspaper who gets all the the, the dirt and the news <laughs> and, the, and the, the, you know, problems as well as the good stories, um, it's very essential. And speaking of news, can you tell us about your newspaper? Oh, well, it's called the Manning Community News. Um, and I moved back to the Manning after living in Byron Bay for 
20 years um, where I was born. I actually just came down to do, you know, a, a function and Boris, my partner, had never been here. So we did the Humble Origins tour. This is my grandfather's house <laughs> where my mother was born and where <laughs> I was born and all of this. And so we stayed and, and then I thought I'd set a novel here, which is The Valley. So we used to drive up and down from Byron Bay and stay, and stay here uh, and this, this lovely B&B overlooking the river. And Boris one day said... Why aren't we living here? <laughs> so, <laughs> so we found a house and, and it's on the river and we really love it. But when we moved here, the town was in an, and the whole area was in an uproar because there was a plan to put great big tower metal, you know, electronic power lines through the whole valley over biodynamic, organic, you know, and beef farms and prime agricultural land. Uh, and it was this $260 million project that nobody wanted. So uh, we have formed a little action group. And um, after 18 months, we stopped it, went to Parliament, we lobbied, we did all the, you know, things like, you know, the knitting nanas and great stuff that a community coming together and it united the community. But the local papers didn't kind of mention much about it, funnily enough. And so the idea was at the end of the day, you know, we'd won and then it uh, was like, well, we need a newspaper. And then everyone looked at me, so um, <laughs> we went, oh, okay. So uh, we decided to start, you know, this little independent paper, which I've ended up doing myself. Um, I've found a lot of, you know, of, of talent that will write for me, um, but I put the thing together and I pay for the thing. And I went around looking for, thinking, oh, all the businesses in town will advertise, but they've been, you know, sucked up by the big conglomerates, mm. and some of them were threatened and frightened off to not advertise with me, but. We keep going. So it's a monthly um, and it goes far and wide uh, and it's delivered by, uh, I thought, oh, how am I going to get this paper out here? Because it's free, it's a community paper. It goes in every cafe, every shop, every business. Um, and the local retirees, um, I've got 30 people that you know take the papers when they come in each month and they drive them up to Port Macquarie, they drive them down to Buller Dealer and I say, oh my gosh, you know, let me pay for your petrol at least. And they go, oh no, darling, it's a lovely day out. Oh, so we <laughs> that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So it's making a lot of um, headway actually So um, and has rattled a lot of, uh, you know, the local council, which is a good thing. So yeah, that's what we need. It seems like you're a bit of a goer. And you don't really stop. I mean, writing, you know, a novel as well as well, one a, a year. Yes, yes, I know. Well, I kind of put a week aside that you know I collect stuff and people bring me stories. But I've you know I've got the local um, you know nursery. The gardening girl there writes my gardening column, and and a girl that opened a little hairdressing salon in her um, house. Her husband works for Bunnings as their landscape gardener, but he is massively into health and beauty. Oh, so he writes wow. my beauty column. <laughs> so I find all this talent. I've got this, all these heaps of people that, that uh, are happy to, to write for me. But I'm also getting the now the whistleblowers and the uh, you know people that have learned after five years that I can be trusted and that, um, that I care and that I can stir because of my old days in... I've got a few connections around the place. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think that's what a newspaper has to do. And you're not afraid at all? You have to be brave, yeah. You have to stand up and be brave. That was one thing my grandfather said, that it was that sense of community that you you have to give back to, you know, and help. I mean, it's been wonderful through the horror of the bushfires that how people found that sense of community and caring for neighbours and stuff again. So that's what you have to do. Well, I'm busy, so I can't go out and 
volunteer or do stuff. So I thought, well, the paper's my contribution to the to the community. And Di, you're paying for this yourself. I know. Are you getting any funding from anywhere? I get donations, um, some some small, which are gratefully received, and some you know, a lot of people can't get out, so I post them the paper. So, you know, they make $5 do- donations each month, and I, you know, buy the envelopes and stamp and post them and send them the paper. But, um, yeah, I just feel that, that you know, it, if I don't do it, it won't happen, and I just keep thinking. And some businesses and some people you know, are really wonderful and, and, and give donations, but the bulk of it um, I pay for. But I think something will happen. You've just got to keep hanging yeah. in there. And why do you think regional media is losing its platform? I think, I don't know. I mean, I think government and too, everything is being controlled by big corporations, money, government, um, politicians, crooks, bureaucrats. <laughs> All of them. Read them. (laughs) And with your book, not much longer. It's October the twenty seventh, the end of the month. Yes, so it's it sort of gears up for the Christmas market. I mean, I've got a wonderful. I've got like three generations now. Like I get emails and people say, "Oh, you know, my mum died, and I've inherited all her books, and they're all your." I've started reading them. I really like them, and so now I'm giving them to my fifteen year old daughter. So I mean, it's like it's gone through the 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 whole um you know generational thing so that's really lovely so it is the traditional christmas gift for you know people our family (laughs) every year every year it's always so exciting it's like who's getting the die morrissey book (laughs) and what's i guess coming up for you in the future where do you see yourself going with writing well Every book, you know, is inspired by a place. So I go to the place and I live there and I research and stumble over the story. But this year with, you know, not being able to travel, because this would be the time I would be setting out to wherever, you know, has chosen me to set the next book. So I'm grounded. So I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do. But, I mean, I know something will something will strike or, you know, I'll reflect and look back or something. But this is when I soon will start, you know, mulling over the starting next year's book. Do you have like little notes that you've written and books that you've started that you've never released and things like that? No, I don't have time for that. I just right. have to sit down <laughs> and start right. Well, you know what it is. You've got a deadline. Yeah. When you've been a journo, you wouldn't miss a deadline. So, I mean, I have to have a book done by July every year, which comes out in November. So it's a long writing process. Um, and, I mean, I've had some really unkind, you know, journalists occasionally say, oh, she's churned out another book. So oh, churn, churn isn't quite the word. But... Um, I've got a unique system in that I'm very fortunate that I've got a full-time editor. So I start writing. I give her chapter one. She starts editing chapter one while I'm writing chapter two. Exactly. She sends one back. and So it's a rotational thing. So by the time the book's finished, I've rewritten it at least four or five times, whereas some authors, they pour and you know all the heart and soul into a book and then give the finished book to the publisher who says, oh, you went off the rails in Chapter 3, start <laughs> over. <laughs> yeah. you know? Oh, God. Yeah, so I wouldn't like that. And where's the future for books, do you think? I guess, you know, we're, we're going digital. I guess you can read books online. You can read books on your Yeah, but that's tablets. been around for a while. I think when CDs first came out, books on, you know, on, on disc first came out, it was, oh, the end of the world. But I don't believe books will ever die. And, in fact, you know, in the, this time of COVID and not going anywhere, 
book sales are booming, proper books. Um, and no, I think we will always have books. I mean, it's great to have digital and online uh, and as well, but I just think, you know, the printed book you admired when you both came oh. in, my grandfather's and great-grandfather's books and family books that are sitting in a bookshelf, and I hope, you know, that in years to come my books will still be sitting on someone's shelves. And do you think with corona and not being able to travel – we're going to be getting ready for another Outback Adventure novel. I hope so. Yay. Yay. <laughs> I'll pick your brains. Yeah. You tell me some stories yeah. later. Oh, we've got plenty. We've got plenty. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're on. Because you said during lunch just before some, a story came up and you were like, ooh, plot line. And I was like, does that happen often? Do you think? Oh, yes, you do. You're like a magpie. You file, you know, things away about places and characters that you meet. They sort of subconsciously, I don't make notes. Um, I wish I had, actually. Uh, I wish I'd kept a diary all my life. You know, it's just like... I've, I have no idea. I have to keep going to my ex-husband saying, where was I in 1974? <laughs> and it's just, I don't remember. Uh, so, no, so I just kind of, you know, habits and things people say, you just kind of, you, you're very observant. So unconsciously you file things away and then you're writing and the characters just kind of write themselves and they walk into the novel and you go, oh, that sounds kind of familiar. Oh, I know where that came from. But I hadn't consciously done it. So, yeah, look around, listen to people. You know, you someone's always got – everyone has a story to tell, but it's just that, um, you know, they often are never told, sadly. Well, thank you very much thank you, for having us. Oh, it's been lovely to see you both. And, yeah, thank you for the beautiful lunch. Oh, you're welcome. It was delicious. <laughs> it really was. It was Dyer's delicious. had film crews here all week, haven't you? Oh, we all no, not all the time. Only when I have a book, maybe coming out every couple of years. But having worked in the film industry, and Boris was a cinematographer, we 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 feed and water the crews. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Thank very you, Dad. Lovely to see you. Do you think that maybe Di Morrissey would write us as some characters in her book? Well, she'd have to change our names. Yeah, Lucy and Lucy, very confusing. But I'd say so. Look, dream Come big. Come on. I mean, you've got to dream. Yeah, you do. You have to dream big, if don't you? If you're not first, you're last. So after the interview with Di, though, she told us that she felt so at ease and comfortable chatting with us, which was such a huge compliment from someone, I guess, who's worked in the media industry for such a long time. So thank you, Di, for being so welcoming and so very kind with your words um, and for taking us into your writing studio and seeing where all of that magic happens. Can you believe that some of her best-selling novels were written written there? there. We were in that room. I mean, seeing all those books on the shelves, her art collection, the big life-size portrait done of her for the Archibald Prize and the hundreds upon hundreds of copies of her novels in different languages – It really made us see that, Di, you're not only renowned for writing about our country but all over the world. And we want to thank you for being such an incredible voice for rural Australia. Your community is very, very lucky to have you. And do not worry, for years to come, your books will definitely still be sitting on my shelf. Oh, that's such a nice thank you, isn't it? Thanks, Liz. Yeah. Thought of that one just on the spot. This episode of Outback Stories was brought to you by Sadler & Co. If you're thinking up Christmas present ideas, 
How about a thoughtful, personally made leather gift from the country? Sadler and Co are taking orders now. This episode was produced by Rihanna Mooney. Music by Nate Skulls. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review if you're feeling generous and follow our journey on all of our social media pages.